call your attention once again to the Word of God now in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20 to 23. And as you open your Bible, let me give you the title of the message, which is Christ is everything to me. Christ is everything to me. Can you say that? That's uh, the point of the sermon. The whole sermon is an application for us to see who Jesus is and then confess that truth that He is everything to the true Christian. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 says this about our Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which... I, Paul, became minister, became a minister. Let us pray once again. Father, we want more. We want more of Jesus. We want to see Him in His glory more. We want a disclosure of His character by Your Word this evening. Please help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our text here is part of a thanksgiving prayer of Paul in verse 12. You see this. Paul is praying and he's giving thanks to the Lord. And this passage that we read is part of that thanksgiving. And in this evening, I want you and me to worship our God by giving thanks to Him because of Jesus Christ and because of who He is. So what is Christ for you? Who is Christ to you? The first truth that Paul gives us here is that Christ is the revelation of God. Verse 15, part A says this, He is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying here that Christ is the ultimate revelation of God the Father. 
That Christ is the climax, the apex of divine revelation. You see the same truth that you see here, that He is the image of the invisible God. You see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that says, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. And then the author of Hebrews, explaining, I think, this text of Paul, says this, Christ is the brightness of, of God's glory, and pay attention to this, the exact expression of His being. That's your Jesus. He is the perfect revelation of who God the Father is. That is why Jesus says to Philip, when Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, whoever sees me, sees the Father. So Adam was the image and likeness of God. He was created like that, Adam, in the beginning. But Adam pointed to the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the God who became man, and that's why he is the exegesis, the revelation, the perfect revelation of God the Father. Because he reveals himself as, as he reveals in the person of Jesus Christ, the God incarnate. As we learn as well in John chapter 1, 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. And then the text says, and we saw his glory, glory of the begotten of the Father. And for you to understand this and to apply in your heart to, to give thanks to the Lord for Jesus Christ so that you can know Him more because of Jesus, that you can know exactly who God is through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Jesus. I want you to see that it's not the physical part of Jesus that reveals the Father. That's His human nature. But it's His attributes when He was on earth he reveals to us who God is. For example, God shows His unending love when He chose and saved Israel despite Israel's deficiencies and unattractiveness, as we see in Deuteronomy 7. But this love that we see God revealing to Israel, we see only in His fullness when God assumes the human nature in order to die on the cross for sinners, based on pure love, without any merit of us, any. He loved us despite ourselves. He loved us in spite of our sinful nature. He loved us despite our enemy, despite we were enemies against him as we learn in Romans but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us you see he is the apex of who God is God is love but there's more 
God shows him infinite power while redeeming Israel with the ten plagues and opened the Red Sea when Israel was smaller and weaker than Egypt. God showed power through weakness, the weakness of Israel in the Old Testament. But the apex of God's power is again the cross, isn't it? On the cross, God showed that He was so powerful that even in the most vulnerable and fragile situation, a man hanging on a cross, being humiliated, mocked, and indefensible, God showed His power to rise dead sinners such as you and me through the cross of Calvary. You see how Jesus is the apex of God's revelation? In fact, it is only on the cross that you see the justice of God being satisfied while His unsurpassed love is displayed together at the same time. Justice and love. You see that on the cross. He shows His love by satisfying His justice upon His own Son. In Christ, God reveals the God of loving justice and of righteous love. That is why we call that God is simple. That the simplicity of God perfectly revealed on the cross. And that is for you to worship, to magnify, and to be so thankful and grateful for that revelation that you can find only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But there's more. Verses 15b says that Christ is the owner of the universe. Because it says in verse 15b, it says, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn here, children, doesn't mean necessarily first in chronological order. But as Psalm 89, verse 27 says, David there is called the firstborn of the kings of the earth. While David being not the first king chronologically, he was the one who will inherit the kingdom through the covenant. The meaning of this word here is the sense of being the heir of the Father. And again, the book of Hebrews explains this so well in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that says, Hath he these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things? You see? And then it gives the same information that you find here in Colossians. By whom all things he made the worlds. So when Paul says that he is the firstborn of all creation, he is telling us very clearly that Christ is the heir, the inheritor of the universe. That is why it means that he is the firstborn of creation. Let me give you another word. Christ owns everything. Christ owns the universe. And then you ask Paul, why Paul? Why is Jesus the owner of the whole universe? 
Why, why Christ the God-man is the owner of the universe? And then he answers in verse 16. You see the word for there? For is the explanation for it. For or because. Why is Christ the owner of creation? And then he's going to answer in verses 16 and 17. Because Christ created everything, because Christ is before all things, and because Christ upholds all things. Do you hear? He created everything, He is before everything, and everything are sustained, is sustained by Him. With this truth, should we not be thankful forever? Should we not celebrate this evening? Should we not be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and praise for this Jesus? Let me read verses 16 and 17 for you. Why is Jesus the owner of the universe? For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together so christ is the creator of everything he is before all things and he is the sustainer of all things can you imagine that can you picture that and for that reason jesus owns everything i know that you know about that information But I want you this evening to let that information sink in your mind. And I want you to see the greatness of this truth that you confess. And that is the reason why you were here to worship your Redeemer. Because Paul will go further and will tell us that this information is for us to know that without Christ... Nothing makes sense. You see in verse 16, part C, all things were created by Him and for Him. Pay attention now that it says, thrones and dominions are for Him. Thrones and dominions. Invisible and visible. I think that's the same information that you find in Psalm 2 about kings and judges of the earth. When, they say, when the psalmist says, kiss the son, he's telling the judges and kings of the earth. He's the owner of everything because he created everything and he is before all things and he provides for everything. Now, if you don't realize that experientially, if you cannot see that clearly, let me list here so that you can have at least a glimpse of that truth. Let me list some of the things of the world that Christ owns. Christ is the owner of individuals. Christ is the owner of families. Christ is the owner of the church. Christ is the owner of government, empires. 
Christ is the owner of newspapers, media, all science, internet, all technology, big techs, transportation, all medicines, market, entertainment, sports, tourism, cooking, all kind of food and various dishes, flavors and tastes of fruits and seafood. He's the owner of all the plants and animals of the world. He's the owner of the history of humankind and natural events of our planet and in space. He's the owner of a human intelligence and ingenuity, memory, reasoning, use of logic, human inventions, art, beauty, harmonies, smells, perfumes, colors, rhetoric, the complex of languages, idioms, and human dialects. Christ is the owner of theories and philosophies from the simplest to the most complex, like metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. He is the owner of many pleasures that you have, and joys, and sounds. And can you imagine? He's the owner of all the sublimity of the music. Because He created everything, and He's before everything. And He upholds everything that you can think of in this world. That's your Jesus. Christ owns everything. That's what the text is saying. And because we are so accustomed, used to that information, we take for granted. And we should not do that. Only in Christ, and I'll see this because I think this is beautiful. Only in Christ, the diversity of creation makes sense and has unity because everything was created through Him and for Him. The one and the many. That's the the big question of philosophy. How can you explain so many things in the world and have unity at the same time? It's where you find here with the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, revealing the Father, you one and the many, and everything pointing for Him, finding unity in Him. This is our Jesus. This is our Christ. How can we not be grateful for Him? How can we not thank Him? How can we thank Him enough? How can we not be joyful? How can we not worship Him? But I want you to see more. Because it says the text that He created everything visible and invisible. And He created the universe. The space. And I want you, uh, children, I know, that, I know that you know the universe is huge. That the space is huge. But this evening, I want you to picture it, to see it, okay? The immensity of the universe and how Jesus is the creator of everything. See this with me, please. Let me ask you this. How many earths, how many planet earth would fit our star, the sun? Do you know? How many earths would fit the sun? You want to see like small we are? You could fit one million earths inside our sun. One million. 
Can you see yourself small now? How about this? Let gets, let's see the larger star named Betelgeze. Do you know how many suns would fit that star called Betelgeze? How many suns? You know how many? One billion suns would fit in that star called Betelgeze. Now, can you guess how many earths would fit that star? Betelgeze? 262 trillion earths. You feel small now? Can you feel it small? I think we can feel it smaller now. Let's get, let's get the largest star in the universe that we know of. It's called V.Y. Canis Majoris. Do you know how many suns would fit the largest star in the universe? 9.3 billion suns. Now can you tell now how many earths would fit that star? Can you guess? It would take 11, not trillion, but 11 qua, quadrillion earths to fill Canis Majoris. Now, do you feel yourself small now? Can you? Huh. But there's more. There are anywhere from 100 to 400 billion stars only in our Milky Way galaxy alone. 100 to 400 billion stars only in our galaxy. Feel small now? How about this information? There could be anywhere from 100 to 400 billion, not stars, but 100 400 billion galaxies in the universe. And scholars would say that the observable universe is somewhere around 47 billion light years in every direction. And now pay attention to this. The text is saying that he created everything that he was before, everything, and that everything holds together because of him. And that God and that Creator had the audacity to become a baby in Bethlehem in a manger to save you and to save me and to reveal the Father to us. He is the firstborn of all creation. Christ owns this entire universe. Can you worship Him now? Can you picture Him? Christ is a revelation of God. Christ is the owner of the universe. Now Christ, Paul will, say, will tell us, that He is the recreator of the new world. The recreator of the new world. Verses 18 to 20 says this. 18 to 20. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is everything that He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The text says that Christ is the Greek creator of the new world, the new body. He is the head of the church. Verse 18a. Why? Why is that? Because he was the first to definitely rise from the dead, as we see in verse 18b. He is the first from the firstborn from the dead. And with what purpose? So that in all things he might have the preeminence. So that he might have the supremacy over all things. So that he may be worshipped, exalted, praised as the most sublime and incomparable and supreme person. Not only of this world, but of all worlds imaginable. Not only of this universe that we just picture it. But all of the other worlds that he will create it because he rose from the dead. Because he is the creator of another world. You see the word for again in verse 19. For, for in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the information of the creation of the new world. Heaven and earth being reconciled because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What a truth. Let me give you this perspective. In creation, when God created in Genesis 1 and 2, God had only to speak and everything came to being. Right? But in the recreation of the new heavens and new earth, on the other hand, Christ will redeem heaven and earth because of the cross. That's what you see in the text. It costed the life of Jesus Christ. It costed Him His life on that cross. In the humiliation of the cross, the glory of the next world will shine. God the Father was pleased. Do you see that in verse 19? It's a reference to Isaiah 53. He was pleased to do that way. What way? He was pleased to crush His only Son, the God-man, and break his body in order to expel evil of heaven and earth and redeem creation that will be far better than the original one. Far, far better. Christ is the recreator because he defeated death, he defeated sin, he defeated evil. And if this fallen world is impressive, even with such much pain, evil, sadness, now, can you imagine in the reconciliation of the universe, how would this world be? How amazing it will be? Because of the work of Jesus on the cross. 
So therefore, this evening is for you to praise your Christ, to sing psalms of thanksgiving to Him, how life makes sense with Him and with Him alone, and to expect that world that He conquered on the cross. But let me ask you this. Can you imagine Christ being everything that Paul is saying here and you do not have Him? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that He is, he is the invaluable treasure and you do not have Him? To be far away from the greatest good of the universe. He is everything and you are empty-handed. Can you imagine that? Christ is all and you have only a world of vapor that will pass away filled with sin and lament. Can you imagine that? For this reason, Paul does not stop there. He says that Christ is a revelation of God, that Christ is the owner of the universe, that Christ is the recreator of the new world. Now Paul shows that Christ is the reconciler of the church. Verses 21 and 22 it says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, congregation, let me say this very clearly. Paradise is Christ. Jesus is heaven. Our sins were the responsible reason for us not to have Him. That's our lost loss. That's our huge loss. We were enemies of the owner of the universe, and we were enemies of the only and true revealer of God. We were enemies of the only one who will finish with all evil. Because of our evil minds and sinful lives, we were far away from the greatest blessing and joy of the world, Christ Jesus. How come? Verse 21 says, And you and me and I, who was one alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What? What an insanity! I was insane! I was a mad sinner and more. If it were not Christ, if it were not because of Christ's work, I would remain in that state of insanity and craziness without having the greatest treasure of the world with me. But what an amazing Christ we have. What a mind-boggling God we have. What a stunning reconciler we have. Because it says in verse 22, He has now reconciled His body of flesh by His death in order to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. And I want you to focus on the words before Him. Do you see there? It's in the presence of Christ. This is the inestimable value of the reconciliation. This is the unsearchable riches that the cross grants us. This is the paradise 
that the imputed righteousness, you see there, blameless, unreproach, holy, those are the imputed righteousness, righteousness credited to us as we are considered holy and unblameable and unreproachable. For what reason? So that we can be in His sight. So that we can be before Him in Christ's presence who is all for us, who is everything to us for who He is. Otherwise, without the cross, that would be impossible. How, now this evening I ask you, how can you listen how can you listen to this truth and be indifferent to it? How can you listen and remind yourself of this truth and not take Him enough? How can we not be satisfied and content with Him and in Him with all that we are seeing just in this tiny sample of the revelation of Jesus Christ? How can we be so cold? Now, this evening is for you and for me to wake up. It's a wake-up call. But Christ is more. It says here that Christ also, in verse 23a, Christ is the preserver of our faith and hope. He is a preserver of our faith and hope. Verse 23a, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now the text we saw that Jesus is the sustainer of the universe with the word of His power. But He is also the sustainer of our faith and hope by the power of the gospel. When you see there hope and faith grounded steadfast in Him and in the gospel, it's because of Jesus Christ. Christ is our life. He is our hope. He is our faith. It is grounded in Him that we will finally get in the celestial city. There is no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other faith. There's no other trust. It is just in Him. It is putting our faith and hope in His gospel because Jesus, as we saw this morning, He is our gospel. It is grounded in His truth. It is grounded in His person. It is grounded in His work. That we will get there eventually and in in the way that is inevitable. Now let me apply this truth to you. In this upside down world that we live in, we are going to die of hunger if Christ is not our manna by faith. You know? In this desert world, because we're living in the wilderness, don't you think? I think. In this desert world, we are going to die of thirst if Christ is not our rock in order to give us living water through faith and hope. In this world filled with pain and affliction, 
We are going to be crushed with depression if Christ is not our celebration and our overjoy. Don't despise this. Don't forsake this. Without Christ, our existence is meaningless. Without Christ, life is death. Without Christ, pleasure will inevitably become affliction. Christ is our faith and hope because Christ is everything to us. Can you say that? Can you confess that? Can you worship your God by saying that? That Christ is all for me. That Christ is everything to me. But lastly, Paul will end this section by saying that Christ is our preaching. Verse 23b. Then he ends saying, which has been, the gospel, proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see the theme of creation again? Appearing here? He was proclaimed in all creation. He is the honor of all creation. He is the recreator of the new creation. And He is proclaimed in all creation. After all of this that you heard this evening, after knowing and reminding yourself that Christ is all, how can He not be the passion of our lives? Tell me. Tell me, Christian, how can He not be our passion? Such a passion for Him that we do not contain ourselves like the Apostle Paul and we talk about Him to the whole world to proclaim that gospel, to proclaim that Jesus, not only in our tiny place or in our families, but wherever we go, we proclaim Him we preach Him. We say about Him. We evangelize talking about His name. Just as Jesus is the owner of the world, the recreator of the new world, so also He must be the preaching of the entire world. Jesus is so immense. Jesus is so great, so impressive in worth and value that even the entire universe is not sufficient for us to proclaim and preach His glory. The four corners of the planet is too tiny to proclaim His majesty. And when you see history, that's exactly what we see. We divide the, the history before Christ and after Christ. He fills everything in our society, even in a hostile society, because He is greater than we think He is. So let me end and conclude asking you again after we go through this passage and be honest with you. And I should be honest with me. Who is Jesus for you? After what you heard this morning and this evening, 
Who is Jesus to you? Are there reasons for being thankful to God because of Him? After going through Colossians 1, 15-23, we know that we have more than enough reasons to be overjoyed no matter the situation of our lives. Because Christ is the revelation of God, Christ is the honor of the universe, Christ that recreated the new world, Christ is the reconciler of the church, Christ is the preserver of our faith and hope, and Christ is our preaching. Then let me ask you this, what is Jesus to you? Can you say honestly to yourself, yes, He is everything to me. Everything. And I'll end up a poem called He is Everything to Me that says this. Till by faith I met Him face to face and I felt the wonder of His grace. Then I knew that He was more than just a God who didn't care, that lived away out there. And now He walks beside me day by day ever watching over me lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way. He is everything to me. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Enable us to say that phrase, that statement, with all convictions of our hearts to magnify you, O Father, and for our own good as well, because without Jesus, heaven would be hell. And with Jesus, hell would be heaven. O Lord, give more of Jesus to us. We are about to enter a new week. We are in a new week now. Please help us on Monday to be with Him, to have communion with Him, to worship Him, to pray to Him, and to live, to live Corianndale before the face of God, or should we say, before the face of Jesus. In His name, we pray. Amen.